This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI Audio's on air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. Ready to kick off another week with you, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for hanging out here. Appreciate it. I'm at the home studio, London, Ontario. Ramya Muthan, away today, back tomorrow on the program. Today with me, just to kick things off and have some conversation here in segment one before we start bringing on the parade of wonderful guests that we always have on a Monday, Jeff Ryman, our other co-producer on the show. Jeff's already getting ready to watch Team Canada and Finland today in their, this 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 great game that's going to be later on uh, i have that correct don't i yeah you do you do canada finland six o'clock eastern time and it's kind of nice to be able to talk sports again because at the tail end of july like right after like i think it was a day after the mlb all-star break like there was zilch <laughs> there was nothing on like sports at all like in terms of live sports like it was it was pretty painful for a, a sports lover like myself, and I'm sure you were probably in the same boat. But now we've got baseball. Baseball's really ramping up. Hockey. Uh, we got hockey in the summer, which is oh kind of goodness. unusual. Crazy. Um, yeah. it, so you, you mentioned Canada versus Finland tonight, which should which should be a really good match. Uh, NFL preseason. I know it's just preseason, but I mean it's still NFL, and of course the CFL's in, in full blossom as well. So. Been really yeah, enjoying CFL, right? It's been really wonderful. Baseball, not so much as as a Blue Jay fan, but as a fan of baseball, you like what you see going on because it's tremendously good for the sport. Uh, you know, Dodgers, New York, maybe not so great because you sit there and say, oh, yeah, of course, the big cities, the big deal. But there's so many other teams fighting for positions and it looks good. It looks good, Jeff. So uh, glad to settle back, but it is a bit odd. I've had many people say it to me uh, to see um hockey junior hockey this tournament that we connect so much with christmas in the summer yeah that's exactly it and dave brown and i had this discussion actually earlier on on now and we touched on how it's a tradition like you said it's a christmas tradition the world junior hockey championships start on boxing day and so you you've already had probably your your Christmas celebrations out of the way, and now you're starting to slowly wind down the year, ramping up to uh, January first. But like I, I know for a fact in my household and a bunch of my friends' households and family members' households, the World Juniors is like a staple, like yep. over that Christmas break. Like oh, as a is. kid, I would look forward to that. I still do to this day. Like looking forward to you have Christmas and then Boxing Day comes in that is when yeah. there's the junior hockey. It, it just doesn't have the same feel. And it's weird because it's taking place in Edmonton. Like right. Edmonton is a great hockey town. Um, but obviously with everything going on with Hockey Canada, the, you know, the dark yeah, a cloud lot of empty seats. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're, I, they're I, like, go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say, I remember as a kid hearing about the juniors. This is, I remember back before every game was on television, didn't matter where it was in the world. I remember wondering and going, searching for those scores in the, in the evening or first thing in the morning, depending on where it was being held. At. And as a, a junior hockey fan, being so, so frustrated that I couldn't, uh, that I couldn't get all that. So definitely, definitely the tradition and definitely speaks Canada. Folks, let's take a look at what we've got coming up today on this edition of Kelly and Company for you. Speaking of sports, we'll get Brock Richardson's take. He joins us shortly with his weekly sports update. AMI-TV reporter Alex Smythe joins us, and he's going to highlight the upcoming AMI This Week feature on the Disability Hall of Fame. Interesting as well, of course. And Toronto's favorite summer foodie event is back. Summerlicious returns with delicious food from uh, more than over 200 local restaurants. We'll learn more an hour or two about this, so please... Stick around here on Kelly and Company. So Americans are less concerned how climate change might impact them personally than they were three years ago. According to a new poll by the Associated Press and the Newark Center for Public Affairs, 33% of Americans are extremely or very worried about climate change. But that's down from 44% three years ago. People also say the role they play in fighting it matters a lot less compared to what big business or government should and could be doing. One poll recipient, a 23-year-old from Denver, tells the AP it doesn't make sense that individuals should work so hard to save the planet when corporations are the major culprits when it comes to emissions and the government lets them get away with it. Sherry Preston, ABC News. We need more people to go back through our podcast and listen to our climate change programming that we did because the one key thing we got through that week that was the general theme, Jeffy, is how much each one of us, just by picking one or two things that we can do, what that impact worldwide would be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Just because you may be mad or angry at these big corporations or the government uh, doesn't mean that you can't do certain things. And and I think enough. Yeah, it it is. It it really is not overly hard. Um, Again, you you alluded to the programming. I feel like we had some great discussions about how people, individuals can go about helping the climate. Um, But, you know, I do understand like why people, you know, that, that, that I guess people who are concerned has gone down. Like I said, it was 40%. Now it's like 33% or something. The the reason why I understand it is because people have been cooped up for the last two and a half years. People are angry at the governments and they're thinking, Hey, you know, we we've, we've sort of gone two and a half years without really doing a whole lot. Uh, I want to go out and, and live my life and maybe have put climate change sort of on the back burner. But at the same time, like you mentioned, Kels, like it, it really isn't overly hard to keep no. a, uh, a positive mindset when it comes to climate change. And I think probably most of us have one thing we do now. Maybe we can bring a second thing in and that, that makes a big deal. And I also understand that. I remember back how frustrated I used to get, especially being in Toronto all the time when I'd be working there, going downtown or whatever, and finding all these restaurants and places with the front windows open and the air conditioner cranked inside, and yet they wanted us to start watching ourselves at home, how much we did this to conserve electricity and stuff. And you got all these young street businesses with the darn windows wide open or the patio doors sprung open 
open and the air conditioning pouring out onto the sidewalk. So I, I used to find that frustrating. Um, a federal judge says a Michigan city violated the U.S. Constitution with its method of enforcing parking limits. U.S. District Judge Thomas Ludington says the city of Saginaw, Michigan, violated the Constitution by chalking tires as a method of enforcing parking laws. City staff would mark tires with chalk and then return later to see if the car was parked in one spot for too long. If so, a ticket would be issued. Judge Ludington said doing so without a warrant violated the Fourth Amendment's protections against unreasonable searches, but stopped short of making the city refund the tickets. Instead, he ordered the city to pay nominal damages of $1 per each marking. Mark Remillard, ABC News. Now, when I was younger, a teenager, and going back, I recall my father when I'd say, Dad, how long do they know how long you've been sitting here? Well, because people would make the suggestion, just move the car, go around the block and come back and take the same spot, or even just pull it out and put it back in. Ah, ha, 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 ha. And people would say they marked the tire, so they know if that marking's in the same spot. That was the urban legends that I was told. Did you ever hear of that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, there there are some signs. Um at local places and sometimes private places like uh, around the corner from me is a, is a hospital and you know people don't want to pay for hospital parking so where do they park either on the road or at a nearby parking uh, um, a, a nearby parking lot and there are signs that say hey we are going to mark your tires or somehow monitor this but no one believes it everybody just no. thinks it's a myth <laughs> Well, and and then, of course, I used to say to people, like, hey, Dad, did you check the tire? Do you see if it's there? You know, oh, no, I guess they haven't got to be yet, right? It was one of those <laughs> truly believed things that, and, yeah. and maybe there was a time where things like that were done so that you could tell. And, and I, I bet you it was. I bet you there was a time, especially in smaller places, where you could kind of keep track. That darn Jeff Ryman, he's been in that spot for a while. I'll just make a chalk mark here. Let's see what Jeffy does. Thanks, pal, for being here. <laughs> No worries. Thanks, Kels. Jeff Ryman hanging out with me here as we're getting uh, the Monday edition of Kelly and Company underway, folks, here on AMI-audio. Coming up next, a highly requested app is now on the Blind Shell Classic 2 telephone. This is going to be great as we get the scoop with Michael Babcock in about two minutes here on Kelly and Company. Settle back here for a couple of hours of Kelly and Company. Thanks for being here. Kelly McDonald here at the Home Studio in London, Ontario. And if you want to reach out to the program, got a few ways you can do that. On Twitter, at AMI-audio. You may want to follow along to see what's happening on the program from segment to segment. You may have a question for AMI-audio. Just uh, go up there on Twitter. Handle, at AMI-audio. Give us a call. 1-866-509-4545. Mentions for Kelly and Company. And if you don't mind, give us permission to use your message on the air. Otherwise, we certainly won't. If you just want to ask a question, maybe want to relay something to us to, to put out over the air, or just uh, for us to know some background, especially since we're always full of questions here. 1-866-509-4545 is the number. Feedback at AMI.ca. You may have a question about Accessible Media, Inc., AMI Tele, AMI TV, or AMI Audio Feedback at AMI.ca. And the gang over there, Communications and Marketing, they can help you out with that. Well, on Mondays, as we begin our week of programming, it's always fun to welcome in Michael Babcock, and he joins us to talk all things tech on the program. 
It's time for Talking Tech with Michael, bringing you a shot of technology news to get your week going with sprinkles of assistive technology. Michael, welcome back. How are you today? I am doing great, Kelly, and yourself? Uh, it's an excellent start to a Monday. Always a good lineup with you guys roaring in on the program here. So much information. And you know what they say. This is one of those balanced shows with a lot of variety and variety. Best spice of life, right? Do you know how difficult it is for me not to take over the sports segment and share some NASCAR news that happened yesterday? So hopefully Brock will do it because I'm, I I realize that Brock is, is right after technology and I am not a huge sports fan, uh, but there was a blind individual and she got to go ride with a NASCAR driver yesterday and then did an interview afterwards. Oh, wow. Ah, yeah. I, watched, yeah. I watched a good part of the race, but did not notice that. My goodness. So when you say rode along, what, did she just go for a ride before? beforehand or and then talk about it after so uh, i did not watch the segment uh she's a uh an, an associate i almost said a friend but you know i got to use that word friend lightly but uh she's an associate of mine her and i uh, hang out in a couple of different environments and they talked about it a lot yesterday and uh, i believe she went on a ride along but the more important and exciting news is she has a documentary that's going to be released in a four-part series on youtube uh, that I believe is produced by NASCAR. So uh, just just Google Colby Ride Along NASCAR, uh, K-O-L-B-Y, and you should be able to find it from yesterday. Okay, pal. Thanks a lot. Very nice. Congratulations to, to her and the experience in the podcast. And uh, really nice to see NASCAR getting so involved in so many different areas, supporting whether it's uh, minorities out there, the, the, the environment, uh, as well as persons with disabilities. So absolutely tremendous. And, and you see them now getting to be everywhere. Um, yes. A highly requested app is now on the blind shell uh, two, the classic two version. What is the app, first of all? Okay, so first of all, this app may or may not set off devices around you. I'll do my best to use short term, and that might give you a hint. So the A-Lady or man is available on your Blindshell Classic 2 uh, as a application that you can install to the phone. So let me preface this with you don't have to use it because it's there, but it is available on the device. And as of last Monday, uh, people can use it. It in order to control their other smart home devices and listen to content. If uh, something you are looking to listen to isn't available in the internet radio database, it is now available, especially if you can use ALEXA. Okay. I know from setting things up on my Sonos, sometimes there's the, the people got to use the app and there may be something a little trickery with some of the uh, assistants to do so. Uh, how hard is it to set this app up? So as long as you know, and this is the key for, for anything, as long as you know your Amazon username and password, it's not as difficult as it is to set up other devices. There are a couple of caveats. I have what's called two-factor authentication enabled on my Amazon account. And right now, I personally am unable to select the next button after I enter the code. I have heard other people who have not had problems with that. So that's something to be aware of. But what's more likely is if you don't have two-factor authentication enabled on your account and you sign in from a new device, it's going to tell you, hey, go check your email and click the link that we sent you. No need to panic. I've worked with a couple of people who... 
uh, when they see this message start to panic. But all they're doing is Amazon is ensuring that it's actually you signing into the app because it is a different experience. Maybe you've never signed into an Amazon app on an Android-based device in the past. So uh, all you need to do is go open your email. You can do it from the blind shell phone if your email is set up or from a computer, and you'll receive an email from Amazon. All you need to do is open that email. There will be a single link in that email, and you just click that link, and it will let you uh, let you sign in. Next time you open the Amazon ALEXA uh, app on the blind shell, you'll be signed in and ready to go. Okay, excellent. Good tips on that one. Um, anything else to be aware of when setting it up? Yeah, so you might believe that it should work hands-free if, you know, you just pick up your phone, you should be able to say A-L-E-X-A. That is not the case. You do need to open the Amazon A-Lady app in order to be able to open it or to use it. So once the app is opened itself, then you can just shout out into the air a person, what's the weather like, or a person play AMI audio, and it will start working, but just be conscientious of the fact that it needs to be open. And then one other thing is, if you have multiple Amazon devices in your home, I have noticed that sometimes, and and hopefully they'll get it worked out, sometimes focus is put on the word A-L-E-X-A in the Blind Shell Classic 2. And so your other devices hear that. So if you say a person, then it hears, it it can be an an interesting loop that I hope they'll work out. But (laughs) your other devices are hearing your Blind Shell say its name and then it's waiting for a command. So just be conscientious of that. What I tell people is, is, you know, don't be too close to your other Echo devices when you're using your Blind Shell phone. Uh, And, and, if you are, why are you using your blind shell phone and not that other Echo device that's sitting right next to you? So good, good for point. out and about and to manage your accounts. Okay, sounds awesome. That's amazing. Let's move over to Microsoft Edge because there's some accessibility improvements. Now, what can users expect? Yeah, so users in the developer branch, and this will be trickling out to other versions, will now have the ability to have narrator announce the word banner on links that say learn more because this is often visually represented as a banner. Um, And so that's one of the features that they're doing. There's also been some performance improvements with narrator and other access technology in Edge. Uh, There's a... Uh, optimized read aloud feature in Android, which means that it's going to be more of a a streamlined process for using the read aloud to have have Android read pages to you. And there's uh, not accessibility related, but improved share support on uh, Android when you're using Microsoft Edge. According to recent figures, I found this to be very interesting. Edge has a 10.64% uh, market share, but of course it's still a distant way behind uh, Google Chrome, but it's it's picking up market share. So I'm glad to see that Microsoft is working on accessibility with both their screen reader narrator and with the third-party screen readers as well. If we don't have access to these particular improvements, what, what might we need to do in Edge to gain access to them? So you may need to go into your Edge uh, uh, About section and choose that you want to receive beta or development releases. And that's one way you can do it. Or another way you can do it is um, if you are in the Insider build with Windows, you can get those updates as well. Lastly, you don't have to worry about updating because you're not getting these features. These features will at some point roll out to all users using Edge. 
Okay. Sounds awesome. That's great. So a new series of podcasts is out to teach people about Lisi. What podcast is this and what can we expect from it? I feel like there's a couple of topics I talk a lot about, but it's because I'm learning more about each of these things. And as I learn more, I'm, I'm like, you know, I wish someone would have shared that with me. So yeah. I'm here to share that. Well, that's with what the we listeners. get the benefit of all that knowledge, all that experimentation <laughs> and your need to share. Exactly. So for those who don't remember, Lisi is scripts that you can pay for to add on to JAWS that give you additional functionality. Uh, Lisi Byte is the name of the new podcast. They're produced by Brian Harchin, who wrote the JAWS scripts. And he goes through and shows you how to use all these features and what you can do with Lisi, which is amazing for someone who bought the program with the intention of, oh, I'm going to use this feature and this feature. And now I'm like, oh, there's a lot more that I could be using with this. So thank you, Brian. Uh, again, it's the Lisi Bytes, and you can find it in your favorite podcast app or tell the A device that you're talking to. Okay, fantastic. All right. Well, an event is happening on Friday the 19th about using Lisi. Who's putting it on and what can we expect to learn? Certainly. So the person who is putting this on that's happening this Friday is going to be uh, put on by David Goldfield. And he's going to go in and show you about how you can have an introduction to Lisi and how to use Lisi to easily select, copy, cut and paste text. Because uh, one of the added features is you can put place markers in and then select text between those place markers. And that is so nice. It sounds like a little thing, but it helps me with my productivity. And I just reset this computer and didn't have Lisi installed and felt like I was missing something. So check that out, especially if you want to become more productive with copying and pasting. That's this Friday uh, from David Gold Goldfield. Awesome. Okay. What, um, what is one of the Lisi tools you're using? Oh, I had to I had to put one here, but I have to say two of them. So, of course, the well, I guess three, the selection feature, because that makes it super easy. Uh, you can also do a search from anywhere in your computer just by pressing the Lisi key and then control shifts S. And I can do a Google search or an Amazon search. And instead of it taking me to those search result pages where I have to skip through all the ads, it just gives me the list of the search results and I can press enter to open that actual result. And then the last feature that I'm using is Lisi Clips. So you can have text that you may want to use in the future and save that on your computer. It'll say and then uh, it'll save across restarts. And then all you have to do is press the Lisi key related to the F1 through 12 key that you want to use. And then it'll paste in that contents for you. Fantastic. OK, sir, we got a couple of minutes. So let's jump into WordPress Accessibility Day, which happens in uh, November. What will be discussed at this day? So on November 2nd, uh, there will be 24 hours of discussion about using WordPress with accessibility, both on the admin side as well as on the front-facing side uh, to help individuals who are developing with WordPress uh, produce a more accessible experience for their visitors. And so I'm glad they're de devoting 24 hours to sharing WordPress accessibility. The team is looking for some speakers who might that might they want to come and talk about and what subjects will they want coverage on? Yeah, so they're looking for both people in the accessibility arena as well as individuals who may not be directly associated with accessibility uh, to talk about some of the things that they're trying to do or that they struggle with doing when when providing a more accessible experience to both their admins and their end users because that discussion sometimes just needs to happen in order to make some um, huge changes. Okay. What's your uh, experience with using WordPress? 
Demasi and I are both very fond of using WordPress. It is, in my opinion, one of, though it has its own struggles, one of the best web page built or website building tools out there. And it's very uh, flexible and able to be tailored to what needs you have. And of course, as I said, there are some accessibility challenges. If you're using a screen reader, I recommend disabling virtual viewer or browse mode for JAWS or NVDA users. And then just actually listen to the help text that's available, which is something I sometimes forget to do and use your tab key instead of your arrow keys to navigate through the editor. But for the most part, very accessible. And it's what all the websites I work on is built on. Michael, awesome. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. Likewise, Kelly, you have a beautiful rest of your show. Thank you, sir. Join us next Monday for a Tech Talk with Michael Babcock. In just a moment on the program, Brock Richardson of The Neutral Zone, he's host and producer of the show, is here for our weekly sports update. Stand by. We'll be back momentarily. This is the place. You've got it right, folks, where all the great information is stored. And the wonderful thing, like Michael Babcock, we love to share it, too. That's why we bring guys like Michael Babcock and all the folks that we have here as our contributors to the program on board to share with us and tell us all sorts of great stuff. Kelly and company here weekdays live from 2 to uh, 4 p.m. Eastern. Repeat of the show at 5 p.m. Eastern right here on AMI-audio. We're starting the week also off with our latest sports update. We welcome in Brock Richardson of the Neutral Zone, who gives us the headlines. As a former athlete, I eat, sleep, and breathe everything sports. I'm Brock Richardson. Join me every Monday for your weekly sports highlights and our take on the weekend action. We usually start with Brock's leadoff, and I mentioned headlines. Well, here's a big headline for you, and I got it. Congratulations to the Neutral Zone. You guys, Brock, in September are becoming a video podcast. So tell all of our listeners, yeah, I know you guys broke this Friday on the program with Andy Frank as your guest, uh, what will this look like? It, thank you, first of all, for the congratulations. And it will look uh, very different because you will be able to physically see us, of course, as we'll be on camera. And there will be some... How shall we say some uh, sound effects that one Marco Flalo may throw in there on a weekly basis? If someone says something funny or makes a joke, he'll add a few sound effects. So it'll be cool. We'll have the same, you know, guests, Paris Sport, Pro Sports, all that. But you'll be able to see us uh, beginning on the uh, 13th of September. It will launch and you'll be able to see our faces. We'll get more from you as we get closer to the launch, of course, when you're here for your sports update. But just two things dawn on me. For those who are solid listeners, always been a part of the show, will it be structured different, number one? And how will people be able to gain access? Um, Will it still be available here on AMI-audio, for example? It will be available here on AMI-audio. It's going to be available on uh, Tuesday around about 11 a.m. or so. Um, and that's where you can get that. It'll still be available on a podcast as well. And yeah, we're just gonna, we're not really changing a lot of our format. We're just going to be able to see a lot of the faces that we have for interviews 
we'll hopefully see a lot of that. And I can tell you that the Canadian Paralympic Committee will be involved in our launch as they've always been a big supporter of ours. So Excellent. looking forward to that on the first episode. Okay, sir. Thank you. We'll, we'll hear more as we get closer to the date in September. Brock, what's your lead off for our show today? Uh, lead off for your show is one that isn't the best news, but in a suspension not seen in a very long time in Major League Baseball, a significant star is out for a very long time due to performance-enhancing drugs. Let's take a listen. 80 games. That is a suspension for San Diego Padre shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr. after testing positive for a performance-enhancing substance, according to Major League Baseball. He's out of the game immediately. The 23-year-old has been on the injured list and was due to return later this month. He's been a star since arriving in the league in 2019 and is in a 14-year, $340 million deal. The Padres releasing a statement saying they are surprised and disappointed. Alex Stone, EBC News. This is uh, very surprising news, very shocking news when I saw this over the weekend. Um, I am happy to say that he did take ownership uh, and did acknowledge that he did take these drugs accidentally. Um, Not really sure how you can accidentally take it with all all of the doctors and things that are surrounded. He did need it for allegedly some kind of medical situation going on with him. But if that's true, there are such things as uh, therapeutic use exemption forms, which could have been uh, dealt with in different ways. So it's a little bit unfortunate to see that this is done. Such a young guy and really a star in Major League Baseball, this is, this is, not, this is not good for the game of baseball. Well, and unfortunately, you get too many of the doctors that have to kind of eat that and say, my mistake, I didn't communicate that well to him. I prescribed it, but I thought we were clear and the, oh, you know, yada, yada, yada form was going to be done. There's unfortunately a lot of the things that try this. And, and you know, on the band list, there's a tremendous amount of stuff outside of what we would consider performance enhancing. Sometimes there are other things for um, other other conditions, situations people have. They're human beings like the rest of us with, with different health uh, concerns that they, they have to attend to. And a lot of times you just need those forms done to say, hey, this person uh, needs this. Uh, anywhere else or anything else? Yeah, I just, I want to say that, um, that, you know, as an athlete, you have to have the ownership uh, fall on yourself. Yep, the doctor may have misformed, miscommunicated, all those things. But you as the athlete need to take the, the step forward and say, look, at this needs to be done, and you need to take care of it with, with a fine-tooth comb because it's going to be you that's going to have the punishment. It doesn't matter whether the doctor says, look, my mistake, my bad. You're still going to have the suspension, and it's that simple, and it falls on your your feet at the end of it all when it's all said and done so it's it's tough uh this next piece i want to have a little bit of fun with you here i saw something that popped up on my facebook timeline today and it uh gave me the top four worst baseball parks as (laughs) due to the fan experience do you want to Take a crack at this at all here, guys? Yeah, yeah. I'd like, I, I know right off the bat, I've got to say Tampa Bay. I've got to say the trough over there is, is probably number one because I've heard the most complaints about it. Check. That is, you're correct. 
Secondly, I've got to say the Oakland Coliseum. They talk about building that place or get, well, getting out of it, building a new stadium. And it's one of those stadiums that also used to entertain football in it. And any of the ones that have done that, there's a lot of that. It's not a baseball-friendly stadium. It's, uh, the sight lines are terrible. Um, they say that about the Rogers Centre in Toronto. So uh, are either of those two on your list? Check on the Oakland Coliseum. Where would you slot the Rogers Center. Well, I don't think it's that terrible, and I, I hear us complain about it more and base more people say it on age. So I'm not sure it's in that top three. I, I would think there's somebody that I'm forgetting that probably slots in there, but I, I would think Toronto would be, you know, fifth or sixth. Um, I would it's, almost say like Fenway Park for someone like me, as much as it's old and no one will insult the old stadiums because <laughs> they're, you know, their history. Um, I would yeah. say that place for a guy like me fitting into those seats would, would be my number one. But uh, as, a, as a what, well, and the rats that they say run around in there, well, I'd say that'd be my number one. Yeah. Um, so the Rogers Center is on the list, but they're fourth. Oh. The uh, third one is the. Uh, Lone Depot Park, which is where the Miami Marlins play. And I did some further research in this because I was curious to know, any guesses on what would be the best baseball park for fan experience? Oh, my I was surprised. Really? Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. Well, I was going to say, I think the one in Minnesota is up there. It's either Minnesota or Baltimore. How about if I told you PNC Park? No, that's true, too. I used to hear that was the absolute best because people were really mad that that was built with money from the New York Yankees nap because of the luxury taxes. And since Pittsburgh finished so badly and they got a nice brand new stadium. The other one I hear is good, even though it's old, for an experience is Los Angeles for the Dodger Stadium. Yeah, that was, it's funny, that one was um, sixth on the best ballpark that I Of course, Yankee Stadium, Fenway Park uh, fit into that list before even uh, even that one. But yeah, there there are some really great ballparks. And it made me, when I was looking this up, I'm thinking, gee, I want to go travel to some more ballparks. Because Rogers Center just reminds me of cement. (laughs) (laughs) But it's nice. You want to see cement, go to the old Olympic Stadium. But, uh, you know, these things still have character. Unfortunately, when they were multi-purpose, it took away from them. But... Can we move on? Speaking of baseball, let's move down to your uh, Blue Jays weekend uh, because Rogers Center may not be the most friendly place. And we know they're going to do upgrades and stuff like that. I don't know what they're going to do for the team, Brock. Uh, how was the weekend in review when you look at it and how this, this went? What are your thoughts? It was a rough weekend. When you only score four offensive runs in a span of three games, it doesn't matter how good your pitching is. Uh um, Barrios was terrible. Um, I, I don't know what to say about that. I, I will highlight the fact that, uh, Mitch White really did pitch well. He commanded the zone. He was filling up the strike zone. Now, in addition to that, my only concern would be the following. The more book that the American league gets on a guy like him, I don't know how easy it will be for him to just fill up the strike zone as much as he was. They were great pitches that he was doing. It wasn't like it was center cut right down the middle, of course, but I just feel like the more book people get on a guy like him, you're not going to see as dominant of a start as we saw. But 
when you have the ability to take advantage of a team that may not see you as often, sure, go ahead and fill up the strike zone. But if you want to believe that you can do that start after start for the remainder of the year, I would think twice because um, teams teams do start to understand who you are and what you're about. The other thing that I want to put out there today, I've heard a little bit about this here and there in uh, media, is George Springer. Well, George Springer, when he's out, you know, they don't play well. Yes, statistically, that is true. I do think George Springer makes a difference to this team. There is no question about that. But he, he's not the end-all, be-all. He, he will make a big difference. He is eligible to come off of the uh, IL today. I haven't heard officially whether he's in or out, but he will make a difference. I'm just not sure that it's that big of a difference where you're going to see uh, things things happen. And as you pointed out to me earlier, Look at what happened with Cleveland. What were they doing? Running hard out of the box. You bet. That made the difference because what did what did the infielders do? They rushed to make plays and guys were just out running it. So when a team plays better than you as far as a hustle, that's the result you're going to expect. And you don't see that from the Toronto Blue Jays as much as we love them. I mean, Alejandro Kirk runs like cement if you really want to know the truth. But, you know, you can't just mash baseballs. You have to play good baseball and they had some luck where that you know fair ball and a bunt hit the thir- third base bag and well these things happen but you gotta you gotta be lucky to be good sometimes and the toronto blue jays this weekend were just off a little bit they were not the best team hopefully they'll do better with baltimore than they did last week but right now we are seeing a team that offensively isn't doing what they what they're reportedly able to do pitching is not what it should be and often uh, defense excuse me is struggling i would love to think about a tandem maybe kikuchi and stripling maybe uh, mitch white something brock when it comes to pitching that because we either go to a six-man rotation or do something i, I know you and, probably oh go ahead and this is where the management sort of failed the toronto blue jays did they fill holes Yes, but they didn't fill it 100%. They kind of gave you middle-of-the-road guys, and you're not seeing those holes being completely plugged up when you see injuries like a George Springer and how much of an impact that can make. But as for how significant it is, it's hard to tell. Yeah. Uh, Big name in curling who's retiring. Fill us in. Yes. So uh, Eve Muirhead is retiring at the old age of 32. Uh, this surprised a lot of people, but she's uh, won pretty well at every level. She's won uh, three European championships. She's won a world championship and a gold medal. So really been around the block and done the things. I said this to someone, oh, she retired early. But then they pointed out to me, yeah, but she started when she was 17 years old. And when you do that, that's a long career yeah. in the end. So congratulations to her on what was a great Career, she will be missed for sure. The World Junior Hockey Championship is on at the moment. How's Team Canada doing? Jeffy and I were talking briefly about it off the top. You were, and I got to agree with what Jeff was saying. I can't get into this as much as I would like to. They're taking care of business. They're winning the games they need to win. Even a team like Finland tonight is not on the level of Canada, or shouldn't be on the level of Canada. I do expect a win. I like what I've been seeing from Mason McTavish having 10 points in three games. That's crazy when you consider the next guy below them is from Finland and only having eight points in that same amount of games. I I do notice that defensively, 
Canada is not quite as strong as they have been in years past. But again, I expect them to win tonight's game, which makes it a quote-unquote easier route when you get into the quarters and semi. The semi is really when you're going to get that test of those bigger countries like Sweden, like the United States. So the true test is about to happen tonight and moving forward. It's interesting how, as you mentioned, teams aren't what what they even were back in December when we first tried to start. Yeah, no, they're not. And there's guys, there's about seven or eight guys missing on Team Canada. And and again, other teams could be saying the same thing. Look, there's guys missing on our team as well. This is a staple in December. Everyone knows when this event is going to be. And that's why you're seeing people like I who are like, yeah, I'm not as personally invested in this one because it's summertime. It just feels weird in in the summer. I'm not sure I would say, Kelly, that I'd rather them not be on, but I am leaning towards that. When it left in December, I'm thinking, oh, you got to put it back on. But now that it's in the summer, I'm just kind of like, Meh, I'm not really feeling it. I don't. I wonder if it'll impact it come December because we're just going to do it again. Yeah, and and again, December is not that far away. Where it's like, oh, we just turned around and 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 did it again, and and it will be in Canada. Where it's going to be, I can't remember off the top of my head. But it was supposed to be in Russia, and it's been moved to to Canada again. So this is the third straight event it's been in Canada, and a lot of people will say, eh. Does Canada deserve to host it? I don't know if you can blame it on the whole country, Canada, what's going on with Hockey Canada. I think that they deserve to host it as much as the next individual. I think any of these incidences would have happened anywhere in the world or could have happened anywhere in the world. It just seems like a big black mark because of the assault happening in Canada. And that's just the way it is. It's... It is kind of rough. It's tough to think about, but, you know, it is, like you say, what it is. You want to scrim up there and just cover quickly some uh, tennis stuff. What happened? How did our Canadians do over the weekend, well, over the last week, uh, regarding the Open? Um, look, I'm going to start with uh, Dennis Shapovalov on this one. I didn't like what I saw from Dennis, just basically on the attitude alone of Dennis. I think that he is becoming a John McEnroe kind of type. Mm. I think Bianca did okay. She's returned uh, back from injury. She made it to that uh, playoff round. Round of 16 didn't quite get into the round of eight. Uh, Felix OJ Eliassime is the next real up-and-coming star. He was the only one to make it into the quarters and just ran up against a better opponent. So we'll see what happens at the U.S. Open, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. Right now, they're in Cincinnati, which is not as big of an event. Awesome. That's great, Brock. Thank you very much. Brock Richardson hits us with the latest sports news, some updates, and, of course, headlines. Join him and the Neutral Zone gang Fridays for a little while, anyway, here on AMI-audio. You can catch them at 4 p.m. Eastern time or available, for sure, as a podcast. Coming up next, AMI-tv reporter Alex Smythe. He's going to highlight the upcoming AMI This Week feature on the Disability Hall of Fame. Stand by.
So for some of the best TV content, folks, that you could ever watch, check out the AMI app. Download it from the App Store, the Apple or uh, you know the uh, Android App Store. And it's ex- fully accessible. You've got some digital shorts. You've got the programs and documentaries produced by our friends over at AMI-tv. That's the AMI app available to you. Just check out your App Store. We hang out with reps from the AMI-tv gang here on Kelly and Company every Monday on the program. Today we're joined by Alex Smythe. He's, of course, our Toronto TV reporter to talk about something pretty darn cool, if I say so myself. We're talking about Greg Westlake's induction into the Disability Hall of Fame. Now, you want to talk about a cool person uh, who gives so much to their sport, but to the rest of us to enjoy uh, disability and parasport in any form. Alex, welcome back to the show. And as I teased off the top, Greg Westlake getting inducted to the uh, Canadian Disability Hall of Fame. What an honor. Absolutely, right? You know, it's it's something that I think any any person, athletes especially, you know, they you go into sport or you stop, you never think in your, your wildest dreams that, oh, one day this this career or this passion of yours could end up um, with you kind of getting a call to go to the Hall of Fame. And, uh, yeah, that's exactly what happened for for Greg Westlake. I mean, it, it's kind of easy to see with uh, all his uh, great accomplishments on the ice as uh, uh, the long-tenured uh, captain of the Canadian para-ice hockey team. But beyond that, too, it's also just the all the great work that he does in the parasport community and in the disability community and just uh, lending his time, his voice and his energy to help promote sport for everyone. It's um, it's well-deserved. We've had the opportunity, both of us, uh, myself interacting with Greg back in the day, doing some media stuff, yourself working with Greg and what, what a humble person, what a uplifting person. How did he feel when he found out? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, he was elated. You know, it, it was something that he never really had that it, that was a, a goal or, or a focus of, of his. But, uh, yeah, he was absolutely um, ecstatic to, to get the call. But for him, it's it's more like, OK, this is a uh, a legacy. This is some, uh, a goal that I can showcase for other people out there, for the young kids, for for younger generations who who want to get into parasport or or who are interested and want to achieve something great you know that's how he he views it as a way to okay i i can i've created a pathway for someone who wants to get into the hall of fame like this is how you can go about doing it and so that's really for him what he he hopes that this uh this honor leads to is it's uh more of a a recognition and a opportunity for for those who follow him down the parasport path can you run through some of his accolades during his illustrious career? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there's a lot of them. So, uh, as I mentioned, like he's been, uh, he, he's one of the the greatest pair ice hockey players uh, Canada has ever had. He's represented the country for 18 years, mixed between international uh, world championships and the Paralympics. He's won one gold, two silvers, and a bronze at the Paralympic Games coupled with three golds at the World Championships and four silvers and two bronze. So those are just the medal count, let alone all the other great work he's done with with organizations, with grassroots communities, being on the boards of so many organizations, and also being the host of uh, a couple AMI uh, sports shows, uh, Level Playing Field and Beyond the Field. You know, it's uh, 
he he's done so so much. So it's it's a uh, it's great to see that all that hard work, all that effort, and all that success has been uh, rewarded with with a call to the hall. So we can look at and sit back and say, wow, what credentials, what accolades that, that we've mentioned here, that you've mentioned, and of course our knowledge of them. But what did the uh, CFPDDP say it really were the big factors that led to his induction? Uh, yeah, so uh, as part of the, the story, I was uh, uh, chatting with the Honorable Vim Kochar, who is the founder and president of the Canadian Foundation for Physically Disabled People, who also uh who organize and oversee the uh, the Canadian Disability Hall of Fame. And he, he talked, uh, of course, about all the accolades and accomplishments that uh, Greg has had on the ice, but he also spoke just as much, if not a bit more, about the growth and the impact he's had off the ice in, in the grassroots organizations, in being on the boards of all these different organizations and really pushing forward that Paralympic movement because that's something that... Uh, he, uh, everyone can see it. it that has a huge impact because not only it's not everyone's going to achieve the high performance side of Paris sport, but you know everyone has an opportunity to play and try sports if they want to, and and so really investing and supporting that grassroots movement across the country was really big, and that's kind of part of the reason why he's uh, uh, he certainly got the call. So let's talk about the opportunity you've had to work with him on those shows. What's he like in the broadcasting world, away from the rink? Yeah, I, I think you you mentioned it off the top too. You're just so so humble, so giving, so caring. But he's also relentless. You can tell he's an athlete and a very successful athlete because just because he's not on the ice and and playing in a gold medal game at the Paralympics, he's still giving it his all when he's doing a story for level playing field when he's in the studio running lines, he, he wants to always do the best job he can. He's going to put in the preparation. He's going to put the work in and he's going to have that, that energy and commitment. So uh, it's always something great to, to watch and work with him on because you know, he he's fully committed. He's yeah. bought into what he's doing and to top it all off. Like, I mean, again, one of the nicest people out there and it's not just when the cameras are rolling, like, when we're on a shoot, uh, I, I can just think of Volt Hockey. We did a story for this season of uh, Level Playing Field. And when the cameras weren't rolling, he's up there. He's chatting with the parents, with the kids, just finding out what makes them tick, what they love, what they're interested in. And that's just the kind of guy he is. And you can see really it's like, yeah, this, this guy has so much success, but he's also still so humble, so great, so caring that absolutely he, he deserves this honor 100%. Incredible ambassador. So he's announced his retirement from para hockey. He's going into the Disability Hall of Fame. What's next for him? Do you have any idea? Uh, yeah, I you know, in talking with him, he has some some pretty big goals still. Uh, obviously, he wants to continue getting more established within broadcasting with Level Playing Field and and the other shows we we worked on at AMI and also stuff he's done away from AMI. But uh, he's also uh, mentioned about uh, goals within the sports world, and he one day would love to be able to have some sort of impact on coaching, whether it's at a able-bodied national program or in the NHL. Like both are incredibly lofty and very challenging goals. But if someone was going to make the jump from the para side to the able-bodied side in a high performance and coaching capacity, I, I think a hundred percent it would be him. I, sure. I, I'm oh, never going to count him out on anything and uh, I'm going to cheer him on every step of the way. Hopefully he can accomplish it. First of all, when does the ceremony take place? 
Yeah, so the ceremony takes place on Thursday, October 20th, 2022. It's uh, uh, being hosted at the Fairmont uh, Royal York in downtown Toronto. Okay, we're going to put the information up on the blog too, ami.ca slash Co. But tonight, uh, you guys have it on ATW. What time? Yep. Yep, 8 p.m. tonight it will be airing, so be sure to check out the segment to hear from Greg and his uh, uh, his perspective on the honour. Awesome. This is tremendous, my friend. Uh, again, a really wonderful piece. Congratulations to Greg, and thanks a lot for making time for us, as usual, Alex. Yeah, not a problem. It's always great chatting with you, Kelly. Thanks, man. Join us Mondays for a chat with the AMI-TV gang. And remember to check out things on the app. If you can't catch the show live, uh, just download it using your uh, favorite, uh, uh, sorry, using Android at the Android or iOS app stores. And, folks, that's the AMI app I'm talking about. Coming up here on Kelly and Company, we've got another hour of the program. We're going to talk a little bit about Summerlicious as it returns. Lots of food, delicious food from more than 200 local restaurants. We'll learn more. On Know Your Rights today, Danielle McLaughlin discusses our right to be uh, free from unreasonable search and seizure. But up next, community reporter Kim Kilpatrick, she's going to update us on a company of fools and their new show beginning in September. Stand by. Hour 2 of Kelly and Company next. All right. Thank you for returning to Kelly and Company. It's hour two of the program, folks. From your TV, enjoy the program. SaskTel customers, you guys can find us on channel 555. And Rogers, Ontario, look for us on channel 196, please. Time, as we do on Mondays and Tuesdays generally, to visit with one of our community reporters. Kim Kilpatrick is joining us from news from Ottawa, Ontario, and all parts east out there in that part of Ontario. Kim, welcome back to the show. Hello, how are you, Kelly? Uh, doing okay today. It's a wonderful day out there, temperature-wise, weather-wise. And oh, in here, beautiful. we're moving oh, along. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. It's one of those days that uh, feels really good, except I know over the weekend, probably some people would say, kind of feels like a very nice fall day. And I'm not against that, even in <laughs> August. I know. <laughs> I know. It does sort of, in the morning, it was cool. It did feel a little like that, Uh me too, yeah. Yeah, we're not going to complain. Uh, you got a lot of things here to get to, so <laughs> let me jump in. Uh, uh, updates on a company of fools and uh, a show they have coming up in September. Yeah, so last time on the Community Parts, some people might remember that they, we had a special tour from Company of Fools for mm-hmm. their uh, version of The Tempest, which was wonderful. So I think I was going the night I did my report or something like that somewhere around there. Yeah, we were talking about show, the rain. Really good. Everything. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, it was really good. They had a pre-show touch tour of costumes and masks, and the actors came out early and talked to us about their characters, and several of them played several characters, so it was kind of good to hear them say who they played and what was going on, and, and so it was really good, and they were very excited. So they're doing um, a run of Hamlet in uh, September, and uh, oh, I'm so excited that one of the places they're doing it is in Beechwood Cemetery. Can you imagine doing Hamlet in the cemetery? Like, that's wow. just the best. 
Wow, that's really back? great. That's really great. Oh, and and, so and you know what? It, you know what? It's it. A lot of people are uncomfortable with cemeteries, and I think for the cemetery, which you know, wh- why should we be? But sometimes it's that natural. Oh my goodness, um, you know. But if you're you're bringing people there, you're getting people to to be respectful. It's it's a it's a wonderful thing if if uh, done right, and it sounds like it will be. Yeah, and so they they have other locations as well, but that that one just really grabbed me. And so they want to do another special tour. We haven't quite set the date yet because we're sort of in negotiations to figure out what might be the best location for um, transit and stuff like that and where would be the best place. So um, we are going to do another one with Hamlet, so they're going to do a similar thing. We're going to come a couple hours early. We're going to have an hour-long time with them where they give a synopsis of the play. They do a touch tour of things, walk around the stage. They talk, the characters come, and then there's a break while they set up, and then there's the actual uh, performance. So they're very excited to expand this and to do more for our community. So I just hats off to them. They're a small company. You know, they don't have a lot of money, but they're full of enthusiasm and they just really want to make things more accessible. So um, I'm going to be excited. I'm, I'm sort of plugging for going to Hamlet in the cemetery. Just, just strikes me that Hamlet could be seen well in a cemetery. Like, mm. you know, just uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So with the I'm feel excited of it. about but, that. You know, it's so wonderful when a group with, with like you say, little resources, but uh, a, 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 such an effervescent group that's so keen to try different things and to bring it to so many audiences. Yeah. Um, let's, we'll and they don't a, have to spend much money on that. No, you know, that's the no, other no. thing that we keep saying. And the actors came early. They didn't have to. Like that was, they came 15 minutes early before their call to talk to us and to tell us about their characters. And they did not have to do that. Um, and they did. So I just hats off to them all the, all the way around. They're a great bunch. Let's talk a little bit yeah. about e-scooters and some of the sounds they make when moving. Yeah, so um, we had a demonstration from the two e-scooter companies that are here in Ottawa this year. So last year it was three, and they had way more scooters, but they cut back the pilot. I mean, they're still doing the pilot, but they cut it back two companies and fewer scooters. And they're supposed to make sounds all the time when moving. And one of them, the bird scooters, make kind of a sound that sounds a bit like a car door. When you open a door and it rings the bell because your door isn't closed all the way, and like a ding, 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 it sounds like that. Right. So you hear something with a continuous thing that's moving. It's not a car open door. It's probably one of them. The other company's scooters supposedly made a noise when moving, but we couldn't really hear it. Hear it. it was a more electronic kind of noise. We couldn't hear it. So they're supposed to be adapting that and uh, um, but just a reminder that if you find if you even think that a scooter has gone past you on the sidewalk if you trip over one the thing to do this summer it's not to call the companies you call 311 you talk to the city you explain it and they're supposed to deal with it and they want to log all the complaints um, so if you come across them, or even if you think you did, because sometimes those of us that can't see don't know that, mm-hmm. whether they went by you or they didn't, if you think they did, just call 311 and say, I think this happened to, to me, and, and um, they'll deal with it. Like, they'll they'll file a complaint, and they'll get bylaw to come and, and check it out. So um, that's the one good thing this year. It's now in the city's hands more than in the company's hands, so the city is keeping track, you know, of all of that. So, well, it's the only way to um, make that I, investigation to make a right decision on how and what to move yeah. forward to make hopefully everyone happy in one way or another. 
Now, I have not come across them. They're supposed to also not be able to ride on the sidewalk. As yes. soon as they get on the sidewalk, they're supposed to stop. Um, I don't think I've come across any, but, of course, I don't know because they're quiet. So I can't really tell you, but I, I think it's better than it has been. But still, um, we still have our usual concerns about that. So just wanted to tell people what they're supposed to sound like when they're when okay. they're doing that. All right. You've got another Ottawa update yeah. for us on uh, municipal municipal elections and accessibility. Yeah. And I think, uh, so I think a lot of the communities now have these, but I, I found out this week because they were doing some videos of people using the various accessibility solutions, which they're going to put up on their website. So they'd asked me to come and do some with the Braille templates, but they have also the... Um, the electronic machine like they have in the provincial election in Ontario, uh, they will be having that again uh, at all the advanced polls and some on polling day, but all the advanced polls will have that machine. And I don't know about you, Kelly, but voting municipally, is it's the most important in the sense of having that machine because you have three offices usually to vote for, you know, mayor and councillor and school board. And doing that with the template is, is so much harder. So and many with names. this machine, it's... Yeah, it tells you who you voted for. It tells you to confirm. And so um, they're going to have that. They're also going to have the large uh, the Braille templates and the Braille list of candidates, large print, and as well, um, you know, other accessibility things for other disabilities. But I go with that machine all the way, even though I love Braille. I go with that machine all the way every time because it just confirms everything. It tells you audibly, you know, like with your headphones on, you voted for this person. Is that correct? And you press the big X and then it's just great. I just love that. And uh, I think more people, it's accessible to more people. Like, as you said, Braille's great having the option, but we do recognize that if you have something that kind of works for more people than, than, than less or am I, you know, we want accessibility for, for more. Of course we want it all. That's just the way to be. And we hope, and we know in our society it's doable. Yeah, and, and that machine also has the ability to remind people. It has these paddles. So for anyone that has dexterity issues, because I have a friend who can't hold those little pencils anymore. They're yeah, tiny. Yeah. Um, it has these paddles. You can use those, or you can use sip and puff if you're not able to um, use your hands at all and you, you have that kind of device on your wheelchair. They can put the different controllers on that big machine. So there's the... You know, the audio tactile interface, which is what I use. But then there's, you know, these other ones that they can they can load onto that machine so that everybody can vote more. And so you're absolutely right. Like this is this is a uh, a great uh, advance. Well, and you just, definitely I, and I get the cost and everything, but you know what? It's a right a rights cost in our country because we're all supposed to be able to have them. And if you're doing it right, it's you just hate to see. Yeah, we've got X number of machines, but twice the min- amount of voting polls. You know, at locations, and that that's where you get kind yeah. of discouraged because it becomes a game where you have to go out of your your riding to vote. Yeah, yeah. Although the ones I've gone to have been pretty close by, so it's been good. I just still have to go to the advance poll or something like that. Yeah. It's been pretty but we're getting there slowly but surely, and it wins the race. We'll put all that information to folks, by the way, mi.ca slash Kelly Co. Let's swing into the farmer's markets, which are really on the go out there. Oh, yeah. And also the surrounding communities here, I I, I I checked too. There's a lot of farmer's markets all over the place, and I'm sure where you are in here. And I'm just finding more and more I love to go to them. 
because they're easier to get around than the grocery stores in a lot of ways. Right. You know, there'll right. be a row of stalls. Yep. And you walk along and you say, what do you have here? And they're always happy to tell you because they're the farmers or the growers or the producers or the baked goods or whatever it is. Yeah, the, yeah. You know, and so they're happy too and they'll, they'll pass you things. And I just love it now. I just love going to those, um, those farmers markets. Uh, so I put a list of them up. There's a whole bunch here in Ottawa in different parts of the city. And there's also something, too, called community, uh, let me just see, community. Supported agriculture? Um, that, uh... Supported agriculture. Okay. Yeah, and, and that is cool because that's where you get a box every week. Nice. And some people like that. I've never gone to that uh, because you get whatever they give you, basically, right? So you can go to these places and pick up these boxes, or they will bring them to your house. Some Whoa, some of the nice. farmers will, will do that. And so there'll be boxes of, you know, fruit and vegetables, but you kind of have to take what you take, right? Well, so and the season will dictate that too, won't like. it? Exactly. Yeah. And you could get things. And one of the companies um, that that was telling me about it at the market said that they put recipes in the box. So sometimes it's a vegetable. Maybe you've never had that before. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what to do with it. So they'll put a recipe, and they even put a recipe in the email they send you or on their website for certain things so that if you get it and you don't know what to do. Um, now, I haven't gone to the place to get a boxes yet. I've never done that yet. But I, I really love going to these markets and talking to the people and wow. buying their stuff. Well, like I you just, said, the talking, the accessibility, well, going down the aisle as long as you, you keep track. And yeah, Kim, you were by us a while ago. Yeah. Oh, thanks, guys. Or, well, and I'm back to get more. That, yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's yeah, wonderful. and there'll be a row of stalls, right? So it's not like wandering around the grocery store where you don't know what anything is. You just no. go along and the row And they're very open to talk to you versus when you know if you needed help in the store, there's like you said, there's nobody there. Kim, <laughs> awesome no stuff. There. Thanks a lot. Appreciate thank you, it. Thank you. Kim Kilpatrick is our community reporter in Ottawa, Ontario, joining us as we visit with our community reporters on Mondays and Tuesdays right here on Kelly and Company, ami.ca slash Kelly Co. for the subjects that she brought up today on the program. Coming up next, Toronto's favorite summer foodie event, Summerlicious, returns with delicious food from more than 200 local restaurants. We'll learn learn more about it after this. When you have time, folks, please subscribe to the Kelly and Company podcast. We'd appreciate it. Maybe if you're in there, you can give us a rating and review. But more importantly... Check out the show. You can listen to the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience available to you with an audio vanity card tossed on the end. Also, you can listen to the show in segment form. If you hear a segment that you really like, you want to share with someone, you can just check out that segment and pass it on. Or maybe that's just the way you prefer to listen to your favorite contributors from the program. Whichever way, we appreciate it. Using your favorite podcast platform for you to just simply subscribe and enjoy listening to Kelly and Company at your leisure. I'm Kelly McDonald, host of the program. Toronto's favorite summer foodie event, Summerlicious, returns. And there's over 200 local restaurants that are participating in this. We're going to learn a little more about it today. Uh, we are going to learn more with Irene Papa. I, I, oh, and I apologize, Irene. I'm sorry there. I... Uh, 
thought I had it. Supervisor, special events, uh, committee, and social services uh, with the City of Toronto. You know, I, I, I practice sitting here talking to myself, doing what I can, so I do apologize there. But uh, give no, me... No need for... No need for apologies. Thank you very much for having me on the show. You did very well, Kelly. <laughs> and I'll try to get it. Last name. I'll try to get it better for when I say goodbye to you later, so you can say, "Well, at least I'm done with that guy. I can't even say my last name right." Irene, let's talk uh, about it here. This is a really incredible event. Um, I've had friends over the years that absolutely love the event itself. They love to be able to have that reason to get out and, of course, uh, <clears throat> get out and eat a lot. Uh, so, tell us after this few years of hiatus, how good does it feel to have this event back and what sounds like in pretty full form? Yeah, it feels. Great, if I'm going to be honest. Uh, it's wonderful to have it back. Uh, it's the first time, of course, as you said, since the pandemic started. Uh, and I think both restaurants and um, audiences are really excited uh, about having it back. Uh, they are happy to be going out and dining. And we're happy to have more than 200 local restaurants participating across the city. It's been a really difficult time for the restaurant industry, as everybody knows, over the past couple of years, and we're hoping that uh, this uh, program will help uh, in their recovery along with everything else that they're doing, trying to uh, get back to uh, a better position. We talk a lot about events that can be could have been done virtually. Obviously, this not one of them, so you really have kind of stopped or go when it comes to it. And you've had a few days where this has already been underway because it started last Friday. What would you say? What, what's the review? How have the first few days gone? They've gone really well. They, we're seeing a lot of excitement on social, and uh, people are telling us that they're happy that it's back. They're tagging their friends and making plans for going out, and what we're hearing from the restaurants is that, um, you know, they're busy. They were busy over the weekend. Um, we've got 40% of our participating restaurants uh, being first-time participants this year, so there's a lot of choice for people. Uh, they are located citywide, and and um, I think everybody's having a, a good time um, going back out and dining at the restaurants, which, as you said, has been something that we weren't able to do during the pandemic. Uh, of course, takeout and delivery is really great, but what we were hearing from the restaurants is that they really wanted an opportunity uh, for in um, on-premise, in-restaurant dining experiences. Uh, and I think the public is also um, uh, very excited to be able to do that again. I don't blame them for wanting that. It's it's an experience for the public to go out, have that night, and it almost feels like the throwback to having that wonderful evening at a restaurant, stopping in, getting that attention from the staff that people sometimes feel, yeah, you may have great customer service, but it doesn't feel the same way. And I think this has always made you feel that you have your different courses at some of the restaurant. It's a special meal designed for this event um, and, and showcasing it. So I, 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 I can understand that. I, I am curious, when you mentioned the 40% new restaurant, is that kind of a higher number has this been an opportunity for some restaurants that maybe over the years would have wanted to participate or kind of eh, not sure i want to do that but post pandemic feel the need to or have the opportunity to in a different way 
Absolutely. I think the industry has changed quite a bit. There's been some volatility, obviously, over the past couple of years. So this was an opportunity to have, uh, as you said, restaurants that uh, perhaps didn't participate in the past participate now. We also did make some changes to have more flexibility and in include more restaurants in the program, so I'm sure that had a role in it as well. Uh, and of course, there were restaurants that had just opened up around the time of the pandemic or just before and had not had an opportunity to participate in Summerlicious or uh, its sister program, Winter City, uh, Winterlicious, uh, in the past. So I, I think all of that contributed to us having 40% first-time participants. So I'm going to stop for a moment with my little follow-ups and curiosity questions because really, in a nutshell, we better tell people a little bit about what it is because for those who have never been, they may not have had this experience. Can you explain what Summerlicious is for those wanting to strike out? Of course. So uh, during Summerlicious, uh, restaurants that participate offer a three-course fixed-price menu, and the menu consists of an appetizer, a main, and a dessert the, uh, they are offered at lunch and dinner, and prices range from $20 to $55 at lunch and uh, $25 to $75 at dinner. Um, and it's also important to note that uh, there are a lot of options. So our website, toronto.ca slash summerlicious, is where all that information is available. Uh, people should make uh, you know, their choices and make reservations and head out and enjoy what our city has to offer in terms of uh, its culinary landscape. Irene, the impossible answer to a question that I'm sure you get asked quite commonly, oh, what type of food is available through the event? Uh, well, you know, this year we have so many options. We always do, but uh, it seems much more so we have such a diverse culinary city, uh, and I think it is reflected in the restaurants and the menus that participate right uh, that are participating this year. We do have everything from. Um, Chinese, Japanese, Indian, Filipino, Jamaican, Trinidadian, Mediterranean, Middle Eastern. So there's a lot of options. I could go on and on. <laughs> uh, but again, the, the best option for people is to filter through the cuisine um, filter on our website. Uh, all of the cuisines are listed there, and they'll be able to um, uh, come up with a few options um, based on what they're looking for. So obviously the goal this year is to help these restaurants get their way back on track, of course, and recover from the pandemic. Any particular ways that you guys are able to do this or that you've isolated as ways you are going to do this, lending that support? Uh, absolutely. So before we went ahead uh, with Summerlicious at a time when we thought that we were going to be ready to do that this year, we consulted with the industry and we made some changes that uh, to the program that allowed um, restaurants to more easily apply and participate. Uh, we've created more flexibility uh, for them by increasing the number of price point categories that we have up to six this year. Um, and uh, very importantly, the city also waived the participation and administration fees for Summerlicious, which, uh, of course, also helps the restaurants. My goodness. That's really, really what a, what an effort there with the city wanting, because we know at this time of the year people are visiting the city, and what a thing for locals and, and visitors to, to participate in. In other years before the pandemic, um, 
is was there a cap on how many restaurants could participate? Was there anything that you had to say? No, we we can't do that because, like, as we're talking about the way to help people through, but the the restaurants and and to encourage us to get out there and and participate. Was there anything that kind of capped just for management purposes before the pandemic? Um, yeah, it was quite a few years before the pandemic, but uh, yes, there was a point where we did cap the number of restaurants that could participate, uh, as you said, for logistical reasons and administrative reasons. Uh, we we did not have that for the last couple of years before the pandemic, and we certainly did not have that this year. We We wanted restaurants to be able to participate if they wanted to. Was there ever the concern that if you had too many restaurants, it kind of watered it down for people or people tended just to stay in their local areas? Or did that kind of reasoning demand that you had to say, no, no, no cap. We want as many people participating and it doesn't take business from any any of the participators that were at the time, you know, of course, paying to, to be a part of it. Well, again, uh, back, you know, um, in the years, you know, 10 to 15, as it were, uh, so, so quite a few years back when we did have the cap, perhaps that could have been uh, a reason. Uh, we wanted to make sure that uh, we were managing the growth of the program appropriately, uh, both from a consumer perspective, um, a staffing perspective, and the restaurant perspective. Uh, but this year, you know, we, we certainly did not look at that uh, as an option at all. It was definitely... Uh, open to everyone that met the criteria and wanted to participate. When you talk about the criterion and when people look at the website, say, okay, here, here's a place, or I like this kind of food, this is what I'd love to check out. Um, are there certain things that as each restaurant applies, comes in, that you guys say, okay, that you have to remember to be a part of this, this is the things that we really want to make sure this number of courses or, or whatever it might be? Uh, yes, absolutely. For restaurants to apply to participate in the program, they first of all need to be uh, located in the city of Toronto physically. Uh, they need to be in operation. They need to have all their business licenses and, and uh, public health um, green passes, uh, that sort of thing. And then they, of course, need to ensure that uh, they can offer a three-course meal at one of the price point categories and be able to offer it dur- during the entire duration of um, the event. Um, so very simple criteria, but necessary in order for us to ensure um, that um, the standards of Summerlicious and the standards of the restaurants are met and all the rules and regulations of the city are also met. How long does it run, Irene? Um, well, uh, this is the 18th year. It would have been the 20th, uh, but we did. We were on a two-year hiatus. Right, so of course. 18 years. And, and, and in those 18, sorry. Oh, you, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that in those 18 years, uh, more than 7.9 million meals have been served during the Summerlicious and Winterlicious programs, and that has generated more than $353 million for the restaurant wow. industry and in economic activity. So uh, I think it has had uh, an impact, and we hope that uh, it continues to have a positive in- impact uh, on the city and helps the restaurant industry this year. How many days do people have to take advantage of when of uh, now you now I'm I'm slipping winter in and you know you don't say that in the middle of August uh, summerlicious no. Uh, well, it runs until August the 28th. It is running now. It began on the 12th, so they have um, uh, just over a week, I guess. Uh, Irene, when it comes around. And you make your list. Obviously, I'm not going to ask you to play favorites with any particular place. <laughs> but when Winterlicious or Summerlicious comes around, what are the priority 
types of foods that you go for since we are so blessed in Toronto to have a diverse, a real diversity of food? Um, yeah, it, uh, for me, I, uh, and especially this year where I'm not traveling and haven't traveled in the past two years, I want to travel the world through my taste buds right here in Toronto. So I'm going to try different types of cuisines, maybe cuisines that I not as familiar with or don't eat quite as often. And the other things for me that I look at are, you know, are there neighborhoods that I haven't been to? Uh, I want to be able to explore and try different things. And it's an opportunity to have a new dish, a new restaurant, a new neighborhood, a new cuisine, all right here in Toronto. And I think we're very, very fortunate to be able to do that. How can people get tickets or make reservations? So there are no tickets for Summerlicious. Uh, we do highly recommend that reservations are made directly with the restaurants of people's choice. Um, there are uh, links for some of the restaurants that uh, uh, direct to online reservations from our website. And again, that's toronto.ca slash Summerlicious. Uh, but they can also uh, make reservations directly from restaurants' own websites. Again, the links are available on ours. Um, and uh, they can even phone the restaurants. Irene, thanks a lot for spending some time with me today here on Kelly and Company, filling us in on Summerlicious. Kelly, it was my pleasure, and I appreciate very much um, for you to have me on today. Thank you kindly. That was Irene Papillon, uh, Supervisor, Special Events, Community and Social Services with the City of Toronto, talking to us about uh, Summerlicious, as Irene mentioned, runs to August 28th. Coming up next on Know Your Rights, Danielle McLaughlin, she'll be here to discuss our right to be free from unreasonable uh, search and seizure. Stick around. We'll do that conversation right after this break. What do, you, what do you mean you got to go out? Now, come, come on. You, you, you can take us with you, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you. Download TuneIn Radio, OO Tunes, the Radio Player Canada app. Great apps in which to take AMI audio with you. Just download them to your smart device, and, and then, okay, away you go. Get out there. Go on. That's okay, then. But want to make sure that you can hear us live between 2 and 4 p.m. Eastern or the repeat of the program at 5 p.m. Eastern. I'm Kelly McDonald, host of the program at the Home Studio in London, Ontario. And now it's time to visit, as we do every week on the program with Danielle McLaughlin. And this is our Know Your Rights segment. Let's examine questions that can't be answered by a simple yes or no. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, when we talk about how freedoms collide on Know Your Rights. Oh boy, let's talk about uproar last week, United States of America. Uh, The U.S. Justice Department executed a search on Donald Trump's Florida home. Needless to say, not impressed. Whoa. He claims the search, of course, was illegal. Um, now, here, Danielle, in Canada, uh, we have the charter, uh, a chart. Sorry, I'm going to let you tell us about this here so that I don't mess <laughs> it up. But uh, no, he wasn't too too impressed. No, he wasn't impressed. And this is a, a, a uh, an ongoing story. And I have to say that, I don't know, schadenfreude or something, but I'm really enjoying watching the cha- the changing reasons that he's giving 
But here in Canada, uh, we have a Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and Section 8 of that charter says that we all have the right to be free from unreasonable search and seizure. Not all search and seizure, but unreasonable search and seizure. So what does that even mean? You know, how do you know, right? How do you know if a search is reasonable? Well, you know, one of the first ways that you know that it's reasonable, well, there are two very basic. One is you give permission. So if I say, oh, Kelly, can I look in that bag you've got on the back of the chair? And you say, sure, then it becomes a reasonable search because you let me do it, right? And if I were a police officer, then that would be under under the law. If I have good reason to suspect that you have something that is dangerous uh, or the uh, ill-gotten gains of a crime in that bag, I will have to go and get a search warrant in order to do that. Now, a search warrant isn't just a piece of paper that says you have permission to go go you know, on a fishing trip in Kelly's house. Right. A search, in order to get a search warrant, I will have to, if I'm a police officer, go before a judge. And I will have to tell the judge what I'm looking for, where I'm looking for it. In other words, I can't just look any old place. I have to be specific, like in, uh, you know, in Kelly's bathroom or, you know, underneath his mattress or something. Um, and I have to tell the judge why I think it, they're, that this object that I'm looking for or this, you know, these documents in the Trump case I'm looking for are there. So in, in the Trump case, um, obviously they had asked repeatedly for Trump to return things that didn't belong to him, that belonged to the White House, um, and he had not complied with the request. So he hadn't given permission. That would have been a reasonable search. if, he, Or if he had just handed it over, then they wouldn't right. even had to think about a search. But the reason that we have this right is complex. And the reason that I say that it's complex is because even though our charter doesn't say we have the right to privacy, it is implicit in the fact that we there has to be a reasonable cause for a search. Now, the United States Constitution has, um, you know, Amendment Number Four, which gives them the same right—the right to be free from an un- unreasonable search and seizure. They do have a written right to privacy, however. So we assume that unless there's an awfully good reason, nobody has the right to look at your stuff. Right. Now. This does not apply to mothers and teenage children. So if a mother says, um, I believe you have all the glassware under the bed in your bedroom, I'm going in to get it. The kid may say, no, you you can't come into my room. The mother has the lawful right to go in and get all that <laughs> glassware that the kids, you know, slowly brought in into the bedroom. Police officers are agents of the government. And so for agents of the government, and obviously in the United States, the Justice Department is is government and mm-hmm. the police executing that search are agents of the government. They have to show what it is they're looking for. As I say, no fishing expeditions are permitted. But here's the tricky thing that most people don't get. Just because you find something does not make that search lawful. So if I were to say, um, you know, I'm, uh, you know, we we think Kelly has uh, an illegal gun. We're going to go into his bedroom and we're going to find an illegal gun. And um, you say you have no reason to believe I have an illegal gun. You think I have an illegal gun because you don't like me very much, and you don't have any reason to to believe that I've purchased it 
or that I have, um, you know, got it from somebody that, that I've ever used it. You have no rationale for this. And we go in and we find an illegal gun that does not make the search legal. You could still claim that it was an unlawful search based on the grounds that there was no prior reason to going in to look for that gun. And that's and in other words, they just happened to find a gun yeah. or somebody made a guess or somebody, you know, uh, right. who, who they don't know could have squit snitched on or said something, made some kind of, it's kind of like you, you dislike a neighbor, say that they've yes. got something or you saw them with something, they come in, mm-hmm. they raid the house and actually find something or vice versa. Uh, Danielle, uh, what about, can I go back to the same thing about the bag that you talked about earlier? Sure. If the police say, well, we want to look in that bag, if you're stopped walking somewhere mm-hmm. and whatever, yeah. well, somebody said they saw you waving a gun around, we want to look in that bag. Mm-hmm. You're right to say no exists, but their right to arrest you under suspicion exists. Exactly. Is that correct? That's right. So the first question that you ask is, am I under arrest? If the answer is no, you say, do I have the right to leave? If the answer is yes, say goodbye. Um, if you are under arrest, all of that changes. So they can do searches incident to arrest. So once you've been arrested, um, they can do some searches. Now, one of the things that has happened in Canada and in the United States, and I'm sure other jurisdictions as well, is there have been claims that in order to secure the safety of the arresting officers, they have to do a strip search. So we have had cases of people strip searched on public streets because police officers suspect they might have something. Uh, The person says no, They then arrest them, and in order to ensure they have nothing that could be dangerous to the arresting officer or to the person, him or herself, they do a strip search. These have gone to court, um, and the law has become quite a bit more specific on when police have the right to do a strip search. And believe me, out in the public, unless there is clear and present danger, is not a place to do it. Well, I have a wonderful story about a strip search, and this one, I you know... Everybody has their favorite stories, but this one is is one of mine. Back when Chrétien was prime minister, uh, there were a fair number of protests against some of his policies. And he had traveled to Vancouver and people had, had on social media talked about pieing him. In other words, throwing, throwing a cream pie at him. Well, a man was out in, in public. It, he was in his car, and um, the police found him suspicious. Nobody particularly knows why. He was arrested. His car was searched, and then he was taken back to the police station where he was strip-searched on the suspicion that he was going to throw a pie at the prime minister. Now, I don't know where you normally keep your pastry, yeah. but... It's usually not in places where a strip search would find it. So this man, who happened to be a lawyer um, and happened, in fact, to have worked for the B.C. Civil Liberties Association. Wow. Took Yeah, I know. Right. He wow. took the police to court. He sued and he sued them for something interesting. He, he didn't just sue them for, you know, the embarrassment, the inconvenience, the, the, the that sort of thing. He sued them for an infringement of his charter right to be free from unreasonable search and seizure. This is the Ward case. Now, Mr. Ward actually 
won the case and he won, which was at that time, the first settlement for a breach of charter rights. So not only did he get to tell the Vancouver police, you don't get to do that. He also got to say, it's going to cost you if you breach somebody's charter rights unreasonably. But just the idea that somebody would think that you're going to throw a pie and that they can then all holds are, you know, everything's off. You can do whatever you want to that person because you suspect they're going to throw a pie for no reason. Um, obviously, that that was a, not a, a good <laughs> a so good choice. What puzzle? What, well, not puzzles me. I, I'm interested to know that the choosing of what method, what we were going to, the violation of of the rights in in that capacity, that way, versus a public embarrassment, disgrace. Dis, you know what I mean? In in mm-hmm. doing what they did, um, I'm certainly sure, especially with the legal aspects and the the knowledge of what to do. There there was a reason for this kind of going after not just you know the lawsuit getting the money or the money that would be paid off to someone put in this position but a lot of time people would say well you embarrassed me you degrade and a lot of lawyers would probably just go with that is that the lesser kind of thing to go with it it is actually um and you know that it could have been settled right there at a lower court but mr ward wanted to get this to to get all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada, which he succeeded in doing. And that at really showed that uh, there is a, a large penalty for breaching somebody's charter rights. It's not it's not a little tap on the wrist. And it wasn't the money that particularly interested him. It was the principle. Right. So, you know, and, and, and that that really is um, an important thing. Now, the thing about getting a search warrant as I said before, is that in order for a a search to be reasonable, you have to have reasons. And I've mentioned this before, something reasonable, there there has to be a reason. Well, there is another case that I find quite interesting, and it's the case of, of Mr. Patrick. Now, the police suspected that this man was running a, a meth lab uh, in his home. And They didn't have any evidence upon which they could get a search warrant. What they did in order to get this evidence was they waited for garbage day. And on garbage day, they got hold of the, his garbage bags that had been left out at his property, property line, opened them up and found uh, drug residue on plastic gloves and, and, uh, you know, things that would, really indicate that something was going on there. Mm -hmm. He then, or his lawyer, I should say, took the case to court and said that the primary search, the search of his garbage, was an unreasonable search because he has a privacy interest in his garbage and that they should have had a warrant to search the garbage, a warrant they could never have got because they had no evidence upon which to base it. The evidence they found in the garbage was what gave them then uh, the ability to get a search warrant to search his home, which they did, and he was arrested on on drug laws. Um, But the question is, do you have a privacy interest in your garbage? And I'm going to make this hard because I don't actually know the answer. I mean, I I know what the, the Supreme Court said, but that's not, that's not the answer. It's an answer. So, Kelly, imagine that you've thrown out your kitchen garbage 
And after you've thrown it out, you think, oh, gee, you know, when I was cleaning up, I think I swept my watch into the garbage. And you go out looking for your garbage bag. Is it still yours? Um, I'm going to say no. But I also then get, of course, American law mixed in with the nine-tenths of the law thing. Yeah. Right? And I'm not sure where that kind of thing places. I mean, in theory, you've put it into a bag from your home. You've put it at your curb. But what if it's found at the dump? Well, okay. So that becomes an interesting question. So that you just asked an excellent question is like, where's your garbage when you look? Right. So if it's on the inside of your property line and you remember, you've probably thrown your watch out by accident and you go through it, there's, there's no breach of any, any law. Your assumption when you put the garbage out is that you have left it out for a specific purpose. And that is to be picked up by the, uh, the, the, the people who pick up garbage, right? Right. Okay. So if you put your garbage out and you say, yep, this is garbage. I don't want it anymore. How would you feel about your neighbor going through it? Yeah, you would think something's up. You would say, what right? are you doing? But, yeah. but again, I come from the era where whenever you put things out for the big garbage pickup years ago, people came by and you often hope, gosh, I hope somebody picks that up so I don't have to actually pay to get rid of it now. Or if you put out a bag of clothes... Right. And you're, or, you know, and you, it, it gets grabbed by your neighbor before, you know, the, the uh, people from the diabetes association, it comes by right. to pick it up or something. You don't get too upset about that. Or again, going back to your watch, what if you donated clothes and realized, oh my gosh, my watch was in the jeans I put in there. Right. Uh, you, you know, so, usually you can go to the place and they'll give it to you. So that's, that's the question it is, you know, what's the purpose of putting it out? If you've put it out to give away, that's one thing. If you've put it out to be picked up by by the, uh, the the city garbage trucks, that's another thing. So in this particular case, um, the man, Mr. Patrick, said, I still have a proprietary interest in it while it's sitting in front of my house. Um, he didn't win the case. But I think that it is really interesting because do you know what happens to evidence when a court decides that it is has been produced as a result of an illegal search? Mm. Well, I would like to think it's, depending on what it is, of course, given back to the person. But if yeah. it's an illegal, like like that gun that we talked about, right? Uh, it's 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 probably going to, unless you put, can produce papers for it or whatever, it's going to be seized. Well, that's right. But so that's why search and seizure are separate. So if the police have seized that mysterious gun of yours, Kelly, and the court says that was an illegal search, then they have to throw it out as evidence. They can't say Kelly is the one who uh, has used this gun because they got it illegally. And that, that there goes the evidence in the case. Will you get it back or not depends on a whole lot of other factors, right? And again, <laughs> if you can prove it's yours. But I think we have to understand that the right to be free from unreasonable search and seizure is a very important right in a democracy because, you know, we need, to, as they say, you, your home is your castle. Right. And uh, you need to be able to do things in private, even if they aren't illegal. <laughs> Awesome. (laughs) Thanks for bringing so much to us to think about and also mostly be aware of because sometimes you, unfortunately, wrong place, wrong time. I'm thinking of a story right here in London of recent. Uh, But these things happen and uh, we need to be armed with information and knowledge. Thank you. Thank you. Our Know Your Rights contributor, Danielle McLaughlin, talking about the right to be free from unreasonable search and seizure. 
We'll take a look at what's coming up tomorrow on Now with Dave Brown. We'll peek at our show and have a little conversation after this right here on Kelly and Company. I mentioned earlier, please check out the Kelly and Company podcast, whether it's in segment form, whether it's the complete Kelly and Company podcast, we hit the audio vanity card on the end of. Any way that works for you is appreciated by us. Subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. I want to mention a few of the other podcasts that are available this week through AMI-audio. Let's uh, start with uh, Sean of the Shed. That drops, of course, on the 15th of the month, out today. AEBC's Triple Vision comes out on Tuesday, and Connecting Disability is out on Wednesday. Uh, Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther and My Life in Books, they debut new episodes this weekend as well. So you may want to uh, get around to checking them out. Now, earlier we talked about The Neutral Zone becoming a uh, video podcast in September. Want to talk about the first one that's uh, been on the road and want you to take note of, folks. We released the second episode of Tripping on Air out on YouTube and other platforms the stress of disability insurance claims is the subject matter. So do check that out. That's season one, of course, episode two. So you can catch up very easily with episode one and two uh, of uh, Tripping on uh, uh, tripping on Air. I wanted to make sure I didn't screw that up. Up, available on YouTube, video podcast here as we uh, get into that realm and uh, had a good conversation with Brock Richardson today on the Neutral Zone that you can go back and uh, take a listen to and uh, learn a little bit about what their show will be like and so much more coming our way. We will mention some of the other programs here on the network that will be getting that kind of treatment. I'd like to welcome in one of the producers over there at Now at Dave Brown. Paul Daniel joins us to give us an idea of what's coming up on the Tuesday edition of their show. Uh, folks, they're also available via podcast, so subscribe as well. Paul Dean, did you have a great weekend? I had a very good weekend, Kelly. I hope you did too. Uh, yeah, really nice, really nice. Uh, really you're, nice. Well, you're, there you you're, go. you're liking this weather. I think I'm enjoying this weather. Yeah, it's pretty good. No complaints. Uh, tomorrow's show, Kelly, uh, last month, the, Ontario, the Income Security Advocacy Center sent a letter to the Ontario government urging an increase to the money received by recipients of the Ontario Disability Support Program. We will speak to a senior economist at the senior policy analysis, pardon me, senior policy analysis at the Advocacy Center on her reaction to the increase announced last week by the government. The Sierra Club compared recently the greenhouse gas emissions and land and water footprints of different burger choices like Impossible, Beyond, and Beef Burgers. And our environmental contributor, Lawrence Gunther, will tell us how much of a difference plant-based burgers have in regard to environmental sustainability. And it's Tuesday, right? And Tuesday wouldn't be Tuesday without the news quiz. Karen McGee, Mark Phoenix would join Dave Brown in the weekly Clash of the Titans. We'll find out who's up on their current events. Um, have you tried the Beyond Meat Burger? Or any I have the- tried plant-based burger. I, ha- I have, actually. Uh, you know what? They're not that bad. I mean, it's, 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 I'm sorry. They're, they're actually quite good. I'm not a vegan, but uh, I certainly respect their, the principles and all of what they're trying to do. Um, and yeah, the flavor is there. I mean, some a lot of the flavor is there. It's a it's a good it's a it's it's tasty. If you go in there for a flavor, it, I think in my opinion it works. I still think marketing is just 
Why yeah. do we make it beyond? Why don't we make it just a wonderful plant-based burger or whatever we want to call it? And sure. it just becomes another another food, just like any food. Um, because I know someone like me who, oh, I love my you know my meat and everything. What do you mean this is veg? Oh, it it changes the way I think about it. Unfortunately, sure. um, mm-hmm. which I find you know it's it's kind of sad. Doesn't mean I would or didn't like it or do like it or shouldn't like it just because right. there's lots of meat out there I don't want to eat either and just not interested or don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I, I kind of find that a bit of a struggle. Um. Heard about the increase ODSP. I've also seen uh, different things going around for people to sign petitions uh, supporting, uh, you know, more than, mm-hmm. I guess, what turns out to be $58 increase. So, Paul, we'll see what happens. Thanks, pal. Thank you, Kelly. Okay, folks, you can check them out. 9 a.m. in the morning right here on AMI-audio, also available via podcast. That's now with Dave Brown. Tomorrow on our show, Dr. Danielle Johnkind joins us. She's going to give us her top 10 list of universal pitfalls to avoid when raising puppies. And you want to make them, of course, good canine citizens. On our Voices segment tomorrow, we chat to former AMI presenter and comedian now, DJ Demers, about his upcoming comedy show in Toronto. Do you want to make big bucks eating candy? Candy Funhouse, North America's largest online candy retailer, is on the hunt to find the world's first and only Chief Candy Officer. We'll learn more about this on the program tomorrow. Committee reporter Kim Thistle highlights the Big Apple Folk Festival taking place in St. John's, Newfoundland. And Young Wang shares her recent learnings about lawns, aesthetics, and diversity. Hope you can be with us on the program tomorrow. Fedora's off to you. Good night, folks. Well, folks, the jury is in. Kelly McDonald has now been convicted of being even more lazier than thought. Why? Well, let's call it the voice assistant syndrome for him. Mm. You know, I can sit here recording an audio vanity card, and of course, before I start it, I better stop any virtual noise I've got kicking around back here, such as the music coming from the Sonos. So I simply ask the A-Lady, dub that by our Michael Babcock, uh, to please mute office. Voila! Gone. That's what happens. I don't have to get up. I just have to use that strong, loud voice of mine where I get paid good money to utilize every day and put it to even better use, speaking to the A-Lady. So that's the voice assistant I, I use, and it works with most of the audio softwares that I'm looking for that I tend to use so I can ask it. I think there's one of the ones I have that it doesn't, maybe Radio Player Canada, so I can't ask it to do something from Radio Player Canada. I'm going off the top of my head, so anyone who loves the Radio Player Canada, no offense at all, but at this time I don't believe I can do it, or I have not found the right words. Maybe somebody out there will tweet me and say, no, no, this is how you do it. Um, I absolutely love it, but of course it increases the fact that I don't raise my tail from my chair and at least walk to the door of the office. I don't have to. Now, if I have it too loud, it may not hear me, but one of the microphones that I've got laying around in this very bugged apartment, uh, it can pick up (laughs) my voice carrying through, and it doesn't matter which one, as long as I give the command to do what to office, it works just perfectly. Definitely, definitely convicted, and will do probably life 
at the chronic lazy stage when it comes to utilizing the voice assistance for absolutely an amazing, crucial, important thing. What a Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor. Ask.